so that uh, we don't... In between times. question was about hearing sounds instead of the mind going out to the sound resting uh, most keeping the awareness mostly around the ear uh, and having that sense of the body as a vessel which is receiving the sound I think it's fine to do that um, See if over time, even as you sort of keep your awareness centered in that way, you can begin to distinguish just the bare experience of hearing from any concept around it at all, either a concept about what's making the sound or the concept about ear and body. And because that could be another level of concept which is an overlay on top of the pure perception of hearing. And at a certain point, really the distinction between inner and outer falls away. You know, and sound simply appears and is known. And it's very, we become very hard pressed to say whether the sound is outside or inside. Because in some way that boundary is a concept. Although it's a concept, namely the body, which we're, we're very identified with. And if at first it feels like that, that's fine. You know, just to be with that experience, but slowly and gradually begin to notice the difference between just the hearing and then any concept at all that surrounds it. And one of the reasons that I've been emphasizing mindfulness as meaning undistracted 
for me that's been very helpful because it suggests that it's the distracted state which is the doing and the undistracted state which is the place of rest. So instead of thinking that we have to do something to be aware or do something to be mindful, it's really we have to stop doing. We have to stop or keep the mind coming coming back from the state of doing distraction, right, of being distracted. And so that's a very different uh, spin on the practice. Right? Instead, of, instead of thinking that we're out to get something, it's much more the sense of realizing we want to come back. We want to come back to the state of awareness from being distracted. And so it just suggests that basic quality of ease, of rest, of openness, of naturalness, in which things are known quite effortlessly, quite spontaneously, unless we get distracted, which happens, of course, quite a lot. So our task is really just to notice and then settle back again. So simple. Do you see just how sound appears? The breath appears, sensations appear. And then, for those of you who sort of have great interest and investigative tendencies, you can notice how even in the duration of a single sound or a single breath, where we think we're staying undistracted. You know, we're, we're kind of there. But even within a single breath, you may begin to notice just the mind getting distracted, getting pulled out, even for, even for you know, a few moments, and then it drops back, pulls out and drops back. So everything gets more, our perception gets more and more refined. That's not really transparent to me, what you're saying. Suppose you're in a, a, a wide focus awareness in sound and sound. And one sound, that car that was just going to fall in. Mm-hmm. Suppose you really zoomed in on that. Would that be distracted? You'd still be mindful, but you're really focused, focused narrowly. Yeah, no, that's fine. Whether... whether whether we're keeping kind of a wide open choiceless awareness or an awareness of a single of a single thing that doesn't make any difference and at different times we'll go back and forth between the two it's more that place of rest in the mind out of which we're attending either to many changing objects or to a single object. I'll just give you examples. Suppose you're listening to a symphony. 
And sometimes we're really just open to, I don't know the right word, to the totality of the sound coming at us. You know, and we're just open and we're listening. Sometimes we might choose to focus just on the flute. But to do that, we don't have to change our basic attitude. To focus on the flute, you don't have to... You know, we're, not, we're not moving toward it, but there is a decision. Okay, instead of having that open, choiceless awareness, there's a certain either intuition or decision that for some moments we're really just going to be listening to the sound of the flute. That still can come from the same place of settled back, of rest. And, and you'll notice that the practice really is a rhythm between a choiceless awareness and you could call it a focused awareness or a directed awareness. And in this, I think it's quite helpful actually to stay just with that sounds or just with the breath, you know, for periods of time. Because it really develops a certain stability of awareness. The interesting place for me in the practice is not so much whether, you know, it's choiceless or it's on a single object, but the noticing of how spontaneously the object is known. We don't have to do anything for it to be known except remain undistracted. That's the point. A sound appears and is known spontaneously. It's the nature of the mind. The nature of the mind is awareness. The breath appears and is known. The sensation appears and is known. In the movement, in the walking, same thing. The movement or the sensations of the movement appear and are known. But then, of course, we get pulled out by our thoughts, by our daydreams. You know, we get lost in them. So then it's just coming back again. But this really suggests the amazing mystery of awareness. In the walking or the... walking or breath. Mm-hmm. sound, which somehow I guess is just happening, just happening, and somehow I can really get lost and not feel like I have to do anything because I can't. But it's a little harder to do that with breath and walking. Okay. 
question was about how in sound it's, it seems easier. I mean, you're using the word getting lost, but it doesn't actually sound like getting lost. It sounds like you're right there. You're very present in it. Is that true or am I? <laughs> okay, so it's very present in the sound without feeling the need to look for more detail. Whereas in the breath and in the walking, you feel that's an effort you should be making. What I suggest, and it refers back to what I said a few minutes ago, in with the breath or the walking, instead of sort of focusing on the feeling or the need to look for more detail, focus from the other side of what's preventing the awareness of the detail. Because you're having that experience in hearing where you're just in it and right there, moment after moment after moment after moment. When you're with the breath or in the walking, what's happening in your experience that is actually obscuring that level of detail? And you might discover a lot of different things. You might discover that the mind is just distracted more. You know, there are, there are more thoughts coming, carrying your way. You might discover that you're tensing in your attempt to see more. And that very efforting is obscuring the detail. Sometime when you do, when you're walking, just with one step, be with that step as if you're listening to sound. Just so you get a sense that it's really the same quality of awareness. And if you're right there, the detail presents itself. There's nothing you have to do to find it. Just as a reminder, as we talk about all this, remember this is the second day of practice. (laughs) So also don't drive yourself crazy with all of this. Do it really with the spirit of interest, of investigation, of seeing, of exploring. You know, it's not that somehow it needs to be perfectly done in every moment. Although, if you can, that would be fine, too. (laughs) Yeah, now, usually after this 8.15 sitting, there'll be usually about 10 minutes. Okay, just a couple of announcements. Um, This was about bell ringing.
What after the grief? talking a lot more about working with difficult emotions. So just keep that in mind. Uh, For now, I think you really want to watch when the degree to which you can open to it, name it, feel it, note it with some degree of balance and when you feel like you're getting really lost in it. To the degree that you can stay reasonably balanced, you know, and open and aware with it, stay with it for some time and and bring some investigation to it. Uh, Investigation in terms of the specific sensations that are associated with those emotions in the body. And really look carefully, you know, feel carefully. What's the difference between what you're feeling when there's grief, sadness, unworthiness, rage? Because they will all manifest differently. So it's a chance to actually explore the nature of the emotion rather than sort of getting completely caught up or lost in the particular story. Don't spend too long with them because the tendency will be to get pulled in, drawn in. So do that for some time. Then even if they're going on, come back to the breath, come back to hearing, to give the mind a little perspective and a little more spaciousness. If you find that it's very difficult to come back to the breath or hearing, you might uh, sit with your eyes open a bit. Because that is just another way of actually coming back here and it takes you out of the drama of it. Um, So there's this very delicate balance of being completely open to the feeling. To really allow them to wash through without getting caught in it. And that's the art of the practice. And that's what we'll be talking about more over these next days. Now, in the instructions, we're going through systematically, somewhat systematically, the different kinds of experience that can arise, like sounds or the breath, sensations, thoughts, emotions, images. But it doesn't mean that you should be looking for all these things sequentially. The instructions are just to point out or to give some indication of the different possible experiences that might arise. And so you really want to sit in a very open, relaxed way using either the sound or the breath as a primary focus, as a primary connection 
know, with your experience, that will give some stability in the mind. From that reference point of sounds or the breath, then as other experiences arise, whether they're arising in the body or in the mind, from that reference point of the primary focus, then notice whatever else it might be. If you try to stay completely in a choiceless awareness, you know, where you're just sitting without any reference point at all, that can be a useful thing to do for a short period. But generally, unless the mind is very steady or stabilized in awareness, if you try to stay too long in this choiceless awareness, the mind's just going to space out. So don't, don't ignore the breath. Don't undervalue it. Or sounds, if you're using that. question was, as, as he's trying to be with the breath or feel the breath, sometimes it's not clear whether he's actually focusing just on particularly body sensations, not necessarily associated with the breath, like tightness or tension or something. And it's not clear which is the breath, which is the sensation. I wouldn't be overly concerned about that because the feeling of the breath is, in fact, body sensation. And we're just, we're just happening, happen to create a concept about certain sensations and calling it the breath. And there are some sensations which are associated with the air coming in and the air going out. But you don't necessarily have to totally isolate that separated out from any other sensation you might be feeling in the body. So sometimes, and this is particularly helpful, if you feel like you're tightening around the breath or struggling with it or grasping at it in some way, sometimes it's very helpful to back off a little bit to actually feel the whole body, the sense of the body. whatever sensations we get just from the awareness of body posture. So we give the mind a little bigger perspective. And then in feeling the whole body from within that, the sensation of the feeling of the breath will emerge. So instead of trying to tighten down on it, I kind of settle back, feeling the body, and then notice either the rising, falling movement or the in and out.
Are you using the mental noting at those times? Okay, that's not unusual. Uh, One thing I found that is quite helpful at those times in the sitting when it feels like we're in an undertow of thought, you know, where we just seem to be drifting in thought and we can't quite, you know, we might notice it for a moment, but we're really in it. I found it quite helpful at that time to sit with the eyes open. Because in some way, opening the eyes, and still with the eyes open, staying with the breath, staying with sensation, with sound, but opening the eyes at those times uh, cuts the momentum, you know, of those, of that thought stream of just drifting, that dreamlike quality in the mind. They undoubtedly are. (laughs) So that can be an inspiration. (laughs) When you're sitting with your eyes open, the point is not how are you doing? (laughs) You will see, obviously, the eyes are open and so visual images will come. But see if you can really keep the attention inward. So you're not looking about. If you find the mind being drawn out to what's being seen, note seeing, 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 so that you're really aware of that. But then come back to the breath, to sensations. So you're doing the same thing, in effect, with the eyes open as you were with your eyes closed. But it just gives a little more sense of actually staying present. Um, just two last comments. The reason that, one of the reasons that we've begun and emphasizing somewhat more listening to sounds is because it seems to give an access, an easier access to the experience that the nature of the mind is awareness. So there's nothing special we need to do when we're undistracted. Because when we're sitting and sounds appear, quite spontaneously the sound is known. You don't start thinking, okay, now I'm going to hear the sound. It just appears. And it's known in the very moment of it appearing. To begin to experiment or explore how the mind is functioning, functioning in exactly that same way with everything else. And so the breath appears when we're undistracted, which is, that's an important clause. When we're undistracted, the breath appears and quite spontaneously it's known. 
And the breath may appear in very many different ways. Sometimes it may be tighter or easier or short or long. It doesn't matter. However it's appearing, when we're undistracted, it's known spontaneously. The same thing in the walking. You don't have to struggle to be aware. It's simply a question of settling back into the body, being present, just being there. And in those moments of undistraction, you're lifting and you're moving and you're placing, it's known spontaneously. And it can be known either in terms of the general feeling of the movement or the nature of the mind can know it with great exactitude and precision. When you're moving slowly, just the subtleties of the moment-to-moment sensation is known. So just begin to play with that understanding because it creates a great ease and interest in the mind to see that this is the nature of the mind. And so it's something we're coming back to rather than something we're trying to get. And the other, the other point to emphasize is practice in a way that makes the day seamless. Our practice is really from the moment we awaken in the morning till the moment of going to sleep. It's just to be in this amazing unfolding of experience, moment after moment. No one moment is any more important than any other moment. And that's a very, that's an important mindset to cultivate for the retreat and to establish that right at the beginning. So as you're standing up and leaving the hall and doing yogi jobs and all the various activities of the day, it's all equal. So notice when out of habit there's the tendency to write some activity off. I'll have to get through this in order to meditate. And we all do that out of habit and conditioning. See if you can notice when the mind is doing that. Reminding yourself just to come back. But that moment is like a moment of sitting. It's no different. And that way the practice gets very full and very complete. Okay, a couple of short announcements. Starting tomorrow, any any questions about your practice? I have one about working with aversion. Is that perfect? Uh, dependent origination said that uh, suffering is caused by craving, conditioned by ignorance and feeling. And other things. Doesn't say anything about aversion. So you look at aversion, you think, well, that itself is a craving. Or is what is a craving? Is mm-hmm. craving a desire for the situation to go away? Or it seems that there's some uh, desire underlying that that you're sort you're set up for. So in working with this, is it fruitful to look at the aversion and try to note the desire that's underneath it, 
and maybe track that back to its roots, or that sort of gets out of the vipassana mode. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Question was about aversion, whether it's helpful to look what's underneath it to see if there's some desire or something else that may be underneath it and trace it back to its root. I think it's helpful, can be helpful if you feel like you're quite stuck in the aversion. If the aversion is arising and you're able to be mindful of it, just aversion, anger, ill will, and it feels like you're observing it clearly, that you're not caught in it, you're not identified with it particularly, and it comes and washes through, you don't have to do anything else. Even if it repeats as a pattern. If you feel that the aversion comes and in some way you're getting caught, you're getting hooked, you're getting identified with it in a way that's not clear, um, it could be helpful to see what other emotions might be there, you could say, underneath that are feeding it. I would try to do that without any sense of preconception about what you're going to find. Because that will limit the possibilities of what you might see. But if you really just stay open, okay, well, what, is there some other feeling here underneath the anger that I'm not acknowledging, that I'm not opening to? And then then see. The question was to clarify the difference between getting caught up in something and identifying with it. Synonymous. No, I mean, identify or, or labeling as an... Okay, the, the, the confusion comes because we make the distinction between identifying something. Right. That's in the sense of labeling or recognizing. When we say identifying with something, that that's what the getting caught up is. Uh, and that often happens when we don't recognize what's present. When we're not aware, often we become identified with it. Right? There's that sense of I'm thinking, my thought, my anger, my body. That sense of it being mine or I is the extra piece. Did you say going bad thought? Yeah, yeah. labeling bad thought, right. um, not Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, it's a good question, and I think there's often confusion around this. Um, the question being whether to the practice entails seeing thought as some obstruction to the practice, so we just see it, oh, bad thought, and come back to the breath, or in some way we incorporate the thinking process into the field of awareness itself. Uh, it's very much the latter. Uh, you might even, just as a way of changing your attitude, when the thought comes, you might say, good thought. What is most freeing is to see that thought itself is just like any other arising appearance. It's really no different in the way we relate to it than a sound or a sensation or a breath. It's just its own particular phenomenon, which, like everything else, is arising and passing away, like everything else, doesn't belong to anyone. The thought is thinking itself. It's not that I'm having the thought. So when we can see this, then thoughts no longer disturb us if we remain undistracted. The problem is that thoughts are not as discreet or tangible as is a sensation or a sound or the breath. Thoughts are very slippery. They're very subtle. So they kind of slide in. And a good part of the time, we're not aware that they're there. And in that period of time when we're not aware that they're there, we're often caught up in them to some extent or another, or identified with them. So the idea is not so much that thoughts shouldn't happen, but rather to practice the mindfulness, to practice remaining in the awareness of thought as close to the beginning of its arising as possible. And then it's no problem, and the content of the thought becomes irrelevant. Now, we often spend so much of our time in practice not only judging the fact that thoughts are coming, but judging the content of the thoughts. You know, these are terrible thoughts. I shouldn't be having these. And when you're resting in the awareness of thought as simply another part of this empty passing phenomena, just like sounds, just like the breath, thoughts come and go, and we're not lost in them, and we're really resting in awareness, they have no power at all. They're just... <laughs> and this is very amazing to see. I would give much attention to it because mostly in our lives we are slaves of the thoughts that come through the mind because we're unaware of them. Unknowingly, we give them so much power (coughs) and then those thoughts condition our choices, the way we live, our feelings. And it's all because we are not seeing the essentially empty, insubstantial nature of them. So it's quite amazing. And this is why I've been suggesting 
Notice that moment when you go from being lost in a thought to waking up from it. Notice the difference in the quality of your experience. Because right there, you'll see it. Now, when you're lost in it, a thought, for however long, it might be 10 seconds, it might be half an hour. When you're lost in the thought, it's as if we've imprisoned ourselves in that particular mind world, whatever the thought happens to be. We've created this mind world and we're imprisoned in it. And sometimes it might be a beautiful world, sometimes it might be a real hell realm, but it's still that sense of imprisonment. Notice in that moment when you become aware of the thought, it's like, it's like we're out of the prison. And we see the thought for exactly what it is, which is just this very transparent, empty, ephemeral phenomenon coming through. And all of that comes from being aware, not from thinking thoughts are bad and shouldn't come, or from judging the content of the thought, (laughs) simply from recognizing the fact that we're thinking. Do you follow? It takes repeated practice, because as I say, thoughts are very subtle, and over and over again we get caught. So don't be discouraged by that. You might see it more from the other side of just every thought that comes is another opportunity to see this. So now where you can kind of welcome them. You don't want to indulge them, but you could welcome them. When we're in prison, when we're identified with something, in that situation there's no awareness of what's present. There's no mindfulness of what's present. We're we're absorbed in that way, but we don't know what's going on. When you're lost in a thought, you may know the content of the thought, but you're not aware that you're thinking because you're pulled into it. You can have another kind of, you could call it absorption, or just state a very heightened awareness in which there is no sense of self or I. And yet the awareness is functioning with tremendous clarity and lucidity, where in every moment things are being known. There's awareness of what is arising, of what is appearing. So those are two very different states. question was about how thoughts seem to disappear in the moment of becoming aware of them. It's not clear whether 
they're disappearing because they're getting clubbed or just through the light of awareness. Often that will happen, that as soon as we become aware of a thought, it disappears because we're not feeding it through that process of identifying with it. That's not aversion, that's not clubbing it, it's just, it's allowing it to have its natural demise. The thought comes and when we're aware of it, because there's not much to it. Thoughts have so much power because we give it so much energy. When we're simply resting in the awareness, we see that this is what's so amazing. They're hardly anything at all. I mean, they're just, no matter what the thought is, it can be the most horrendous thought in the world. In the moment of awareness, it's like, and so to see that, to see how they, they just dissolve in the light of awareness is fine. You might just pay attention, check, check in with yourself to see, are you feeling sort of any, any aversion in that? It doesn't sound like it from what you're saying, but there might be. You know, so you just want to check, are you, is there a kind of contraction or resistance with the thought, or is it simply that quality of open awareness? So a nice image, which is, read it someplace, and uh, just like a snowflake dissolving you know, in the sun. That's what happens with thoughts. Thoughts are, they just dissolve in the sun. And there's no sun, and they form into hailstones. They <laughs> <laughs> That's a more usual experience. <laughs> But really, when we see them clearly, there's not much there. So take an interest. You know, all of this is about investigation, inquiry of understanding how it is that our minds, our bodies are working, because how they're working is how we live. And so we really want to just see all of this very clearly. Begin to work with intention today. Okay, just to start with, you might pick a few very simple activities as a way of getting access to this rather subtle event. You might pick, for example, each time before you turn, just pause for a moment and notice that you're about to turn and then turn. Or you might pick the moment before you reach for something. So instead of just automatically reaching, you come to some place, you want something, you pause for a moment about to reach, intending to reach, and then let the action come out of that space of awareness, of intention. Keep it very simple at first. And slowly see if you can really investigate what is this experience of intention? At first it might be only the awareness of the pause. You might not feel anything within the pause. But slowly the sense of giving yourself of the pause will give you the space to then explore, okay, what's happening? What is this factor of willing something to be? 
What's it like? What does it feel like? This becomes a very critical uh, factor to understand. Okay. Do you have any questions about your practice? Um, during working periods, I'm not quite sure where to um, anchor the attention. Mm-hmm. The question was about uh, during the working periods, where it's best to anchor the attention. I found that there are two areas which are most helpful in keeping the attention centered. One is the awareness of the body, body movement. Not necessarily very microscopic detail of it, which then might, your job might take five hours. But even if you're going at a normal speed, it's the sense of feeling your body as you're doing it, rather than that sense of rushing or being ahead of yourself sort of anticipating what you need to get done. So your mind is out here instead of settled back in your body simply feeling it. That sense of being settled back in the body can happen at any speed. And this is a useful thing to learn. Sometimes people associate mindfulness with only going very slowly. Going slow is a big help in, in the practice, but mindfulness is not dependent upon going slowly. And so you can actually use the work period as a very effective training for living one's life in the world, you know, where you're not creeping along. Okay, so settle back in the body. The other arena which is very helpful is being aware of seeing. Because that's one area of experience that because it's so pervasive, that is happening so much of the time when our eyes are open, that we very often cease to be mindful of it. Because it's also not as uh, impactful, tangibly, as a sound or a sensation. And yet very often we actually are in the arena of seeing and our attention goes out through the eye door. We don't know it because we're not mindful of the fact that we're seeing. We get caught up in judgments, evaluations, comments, and a whole inner dialogue can happen about what we're seeing or prompted by what we're seeing, all because we haven't noticed. Oh, seeing, seeing, seeing. Sort of taking in the visual field in that same receptive mode as we take in sound. And so occasionally through the yogi work period, you know, to check in. And using the mental noting there would be helpful. So being aware of the body, being aware of seeing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, the, the question was often, especially in nature, in noting seeing, 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 it feels heartless, distancing, cold, closing off that sense of real connectedness, you know, that might come in nature. The question is a good one because it points to the importance of using the note skillfully. Often, in that situation or in others, when people are using the labeling, it's as if the labeling becomes the practice. And so, seeing, 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 all of our attention is on the fact that we're noting, instead of actually using the notes simply as a reminder and as a connector to what the experience actually is, so we're not in a state of forgetfulness or being lost. You need not sort of keep repeating seeing, 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 seeing. Do it very softly, very gently, almost as if the label is an invitation to us to open to what is being seen. So we actually go through that whole process of being connected in a more aware, a more conscious way. So it's very soft, it can be intermittent, an opening, rather than be this barrier. And also I hope in doing that, you also stay aware and mindful of the range of feelings which may come. So if there's gratitude, if there's a feeling of connectedness, whether or not you note those feelings, you become aware of them. So you don't create a sense of self or I in an unconscious identification with those feelings. But they too are part of the whole passing show. You know, the the whole spiritual practice has been sort of summed up in many different sort of teachings and texts, really in one very simple expression, hold on to nothing. And in the not holding on to anything, we become open to everything. And when we're not, this is me, this is who I am, either in a very obvious way or even a very subtle way. Can we just let experience unfold? And then to notice all the times when we do fixate or identify or hold on. And then again, dropping back into the openness. I want to say one word about or a couple of words, about something that a few of you have expressed a little confusion about. And that is how to understand, on the one hand, what we call open awareness, and on the other hand, 
quite focused attention. You know, and sometimes people get confused. Well, how can I be focused and still have an open awareness? And open awareness does not refer to a state of choicelessness in our awareness. Rather, it refers to the quality of awareness itself. The quality, the nature of awareness is open, it's unobstructed, it's clear, it's empty, it's whatever synonyms you like to use. When sounds arise and are known, what is the nature of the awareness that's knowing it? We can hardly say anything about it at all. You know, it's not some tangible, limited, bounded, concrete phenomena. The nature or the quality of awareness is openness, is lucidity, is clarity, is emptiness. All of those are just different words pointing to the very nature of awareness itself. That awareness can be either choiceless, where we're just sitting and moment after moment noticing the entire range of phenomena, in, out, hearing, seeing, moment after moment, noticing what's appearing predominantly, or that very same open quality of awareness can be focused on simply the breath coming and going. When we're focused on the breath, that in no way <clears throat> obscures the open quality. Is this clear? <laughs> because this is an important point. Often people give up the kind of strength that comes from developing a focused attention, whether it's on the breath or sounds or whatever, because they think that, well, if I'm focusing on the breath, it means that the awareness is not open anymore. That's a misconstruing of what it means. Is the open the term open uh, redundant there, or what's closed awareness? It's the, <laughs> the, the question is whether the word open awareness is redundant. What could be closed awareness? <clears throat> it's redundant in the sense of pointing to or expressing the nature of awareness. You could think of that. You could think of what closed awareness is in terms of when we get identified, when the mind fixates on something, or gets identified, or gets lost. Actually, the awareness itself doesn't change. It's just it gets obscured by that identification. So all this is by way of saying you can work with a primary object a lot from this place of receptivity, of really resting in the quality of the awareness being very open and the sensations of the breath appear and change and disappear and appear and change and disappear. And the mind is very open, very spacious, 
still with the breath as a main object or sounds or whatever it is that you're working with. So this is an important understanding. I think it's time uh, for interviews. One announcement request. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.